Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Dan Baer's interviews with the director for Everybody's Talking About Jamie, Jonathan Butterell, and the film stars Max Harwood and Richard E. Grant. Ladies and gentlemen, Legit. would you give a warm welcome for the soon-to-be legendary Jamie New? Me? Sorry, miss. Just daydreaming. Pretty. I got something to show you. You gotta swear not to tell anyone. Tell anyone what? I want to be a drag queen. Oh my days. Hello everyone and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast where we are talking with Jonathan Butterell, the director of the new film Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you, Daniel. Great. I am so glad to be talking to you, talking about this film, um, which is a fantastic pop musical adapted from the West End hit, um, which you also directed on the West End, if I'm not mistaken, Um, which is very exciting that it's relatively rare that someone gets to direct a show on the stage and then also gets to direct a film version. Um, So how did that come about for you? I first, I mean, the genesis of the stories I saw, I was channel hopping, just so happened to come across a documentary called Jamie Drag Queen at 16, in which a young 16-year-old boy from the north of, of Britain got off a bus and announced to, a, to the whole of the BBC that he wanted to be a drag queen. And I come from a similar working class community. That's mm-hmm. how I grew up. A, a generation earlier than Jamie Campbell did, but I recognised him and I recognised that statement and I recognized that community that he lived in and just thought I want to tell this story um so I went to the theater of my hometown and said would you commission this as a piece and I've been directing theater for many many years Mm. and they took up the commission we created the piece um Dan Gillespie Sells the composer and Tom McRae the the writer and myself created this this world you know and um, in, all, in all honesty, at that moment in time, we didn't speak to Jamie Campbell. Um, we got permission for, from the documentary makers and from Jamie and Margaret to make the piece. Mm-hmm. But we also wanted to be able to fly, let our imaginations fly and create a, 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 our own sense of that world. Because Jamie Campbell, for instance, doesn't have a friend, friend called Pretty Pasha. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, and also the documentary didn't allow you to go into the, into the school itself. Mm. So we created this world and then brought Jamie into the world once we created it, um, Jamie, the real Jamie, Jamie Campbell. Yeah. Um, and I remember when him and his mom first saw it, the first words out of Margaret's mouth was, how did you know? And oh. I said, well, 
we let our imaginations fly, but there's something in your story that felt universal, that mm -hmm. actually felt universal to everybody. It is about a mother letting her fledgling leave the nest. And we all knew what that would feel like. And we all know what it's like, this, wherever our background is, to take our first steps into the world and feel vulnerable about taking our first steps into the world. And particularly as a young queer kid, that's that's a, can be a big step. Absolutely, um, it's it can be a huge step sometimes. And one of the things that really I liked about the film is that we sort of see in the first two musical numbers we see Jamie's fantasy world in the school, and then in the second we see his his memories from growing up. I have not been able to make it to the West End to see the stage show, uh -huh. but I, <laughs> I'm wondering how did you approach filming these musical numbers any differently than you did from staging them for uh, the stage show? In fundamentally different, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, the scale of the numbers in the film is completely different, you know. And we move from location to location to location. And we had 500 dancers in one sequence and 70 dancers in another sequence. And a, a sequence at the end, there are 3,000 people in the street celebrating and dancing, you know. So mm -hmm. the scale of it was, was enormous. And so the prep for that was also enormous. And what I loved about it, it let myself as a director, let my imagination fly. You know, mm. I, I, could, I could let, because Jamie's imagination flies, and so visually, I was allowed to fly with that as well. And also, we, because I really wanted the music of this story to be essentially pop, because pop is what people in the community I came from listen to. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's that, that's their world. So I wanted that world to be reflected musically. And so it, when it came to those, I, I just was inspired by great, great, great pop videos. That, okay, it allowed, good. It allowed me to just fly, you know, in that sense as well. That that was, I, I, I was watching it, the movie, and I was looking at these numbers like, this feels like a music video. Like not in general, it feels like a music video. Like it feels like a specific music video. And I don't know offhand which one, but I know I've seen this before. And okay, I'm glad <laughs> glad to know I was. Yeah, I watched. I I homage to the greatest of the great. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely, and and it feels that way. And that is one of the things that makes it feel very true to these these characters and fitting in their milieu. And it's clear that this is what they listen to. This is what they watch. It feels yeah. you feel the characters through this style. And I feel each character has their own musical stamp as well. Jamie, mm -hmm. Jamie feels very pop, very current. In some ways, for me, Pretty feels a little indie. You yeah. know. Um, and Margaret feels a little bit R&B, you know, she, she'd be listening to Dusty Springfield, you know. Mm. Um, so they all have their pop musical influences as well. Yeah, and it it's great. And everything sounds, you know, all the songs sound distinct, but they all sound of a piece too. I would hope they sound accessible. Yes. So I get that world. It's immediate mm -hmm. to me, you know, and that could that could spark you to want to dance, and at its best, as music does, it could touch your heart, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is one of the special things about musicals is that the through the music they have this ability to go to places that are much more difficult for so stories told without music to get to. 
Music's and, so deeply primal, you know? Yes. It goes to that place, rhythm, rhythm, yeah. melody, harmony, really just take us to some primal places sometimes. Whether that, as I say, whether that wants to make us dance and be exhilarated, or whether that takes us to... We all have those moments in our life that we go, I remember that song that accompanies that moment. And I, I want it to feel like that as well. Yeah, and I, I think that comes across. When it, come, when it came now, obviously, the movie is not the stage show. They're two very different entities. When it came time to adapt the stage show to the film, how did you go about choosing because you know you've been with this from the beginning you're very attached to it how did you decide what to cut what to add it became very natural what 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 wasn't needed because Mm. film can do something that cinema uh, that theater can't necessarily do um in a close-up you can tell a whole story in three seconds. Mm-hmm. You just get the moment. So there was there was a particular song that was that wasn't that was in the stage show that's not in the film because I knew that beat of the story had already been told. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the moment that Margaret discovers that really his dad never wants to see Jamie again. Mm-hmm. In that moment, in Sarah Lancashire's eyes, in Margaret's eyes, the beat is told. You know, and to extend that beat any longer and make it a three-minute song felt unnecessary to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we added a song, This Was Me. Yes. Really, I felt was necessary to our story that deepened the character of Hugo and that really told a, a generational story about how LGBTQ plus history is a story that needs passing on and needs to be continued to pass on. That moment in particular was... So beautiful, and the the choice to show that on his the home videos of he of those days did that did you go out and and film these whole scenes? Where did the idea to have that be told through the home movies come from? Um, it, it it came from you know you know ideas come things through through experience and something really practical. If I go back to the time of of my own, what, what do I have left is those VHS tapes. You know, that's what I have left. And that's where they are and that's where they exist. So it felt very natural that we would go into that world. And then you ask yourself the question, well, who took that video? Who's on the, who's, mm. who's the camera person on the other side? And making the decision that that would be Hugo's lover, you know, who's just chronicling the person he loved in all his fabulousness and chronicling the times that, that we were in. It, you know, at my first principal day of photography, and I've never made a film before, was the day we filmed the demonstration, the big, what we would term the Section 28 demonstration. Section 28 was a, as a law that was uh, created in the 1980s by Margaret Thatcher's government, which outlawed the promotion of homosexuality. So it meant that in schools, in libraries, that books were taken away and, 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 and LGBTQ people were not only marginalized as they already had been, but were somehow even further marginalized, which allowed for violence and ridicule, you know. And so there was, I went on those demonstrations. So it's chronicling that, that time, you know. Um, so, and it, it felt fundamentally important that also what was recognized 
was 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 HIV and how that impacted our lives and how we lost people. And so I just want to tell the story of my generation as well and how that was passed on mm. to, to Jamie. Yeah, it, it, it's a beautiful moment. And I was hearing you say that. I'm now thinking like, here we are in the middle of another epidemic, um, which obviously I, I assume was not on your mind when you were filming this. Um, when did you, when was this filmed? How was the process? Did the pandemic affect any thing in the process? We, we, we did full principal photography before we even knew coronavirus existed, you know, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did so, do some pickups in while the pandemic was on. Um, and with all the protocols in place, we actually, actually, that was all fine. There was an inevitable delay in, in the process because we, we had to sh- shut down the edit for quite a while, uh, particularly in England, because we had full shut, you know, yeah. we were fully locked down. Uh, and then we picked up the edit again, you know, um, so it did affect us, you know, it affected when we were released, but actually in many ways, it feels like the time that this film should be coming out into the world as well. Uh, you know, I couldn't foresee a pandemic. I couldn't f- foresee a world in which we'd all close down, in which we couldn't celebrate with ourselves in streets, in, in clubs, in bars, in, in, in homes, in families, in churches. I couldn't envision a world that that would happen. But this, this gives us a world in which, again, that is possible. Yeah, well, and again, thank you for the movie. I totally agree. This is a perfect time for a movie like this, this big joyous celebration of community in many different ways. It's a great yeah. time for it. So thank you so much for all your work. Before before we go, I have one very important question for you. Yes. What would your drag name be? Oh, you know, people ask me that and I... I I don't know because I, I I really get I really get a bit scared because it, because because Jack is I'm gonna say this in, in, I, it, it takes me to a very vulnerable place in myself because it requires a certain mm. courage and a certain yes. kind of fierceness and and I go it may it, oddly the first thing that comes into my mind when you say that is I get scared. Oh. <laughs> That will present some part of me that I go, what am, what am I exposing? What am I pushing forwards about myself? Mm. You know, and I go, and I, I have that conversation with myself. I go, I, that's why I love drag, because I love the courageousness of those queens who are able to go, I'm going to commit to this, and I'm going to bring myself fully on my, others, my otherness sometimes to the forefront. So I can't really answer your question because... I really need to do a bit more therapy in order to get to that place. <laughs> I think especially after this year, we can all understand the need for more therapy. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank Again, you so congratulations much. on the movie and um, good luck to you in whatever comes next. Daniel, thank you. So a pleasure to meet you in your in your in your Oz crown with your you with your halo around you. I'm sure Dorothy's walking down there somewhere. I'm sure she is too. <laughs> Take care, Daniel. Thank you, Jonathan. Bye-bye. So why do you want to be a drag queen? Because it's all I ever dream of. And when I close my eyes, it's all I can see. You just found yourself a mentor. Yeah, yes, please. I don't know who I am. 
Yes, 16, of course you don't. Do what you need to do. Be who you want to be. Welcome back, everybody, to the next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Max Harwood, the star of Everybody's Talking About J-A-A-A-Me. Wow, lovely, lovely vocal there from you. Thank you so much for the introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Um, I'm excited to be here too. Yeah, this is your film debut. Yes, wild, um, wild, wild. Yeah, so since this is your debut, you're not familiar to most of our audience, um, why don't you introduce yourself to the world? Where did you come from? How did you come to play this part? Wow, so obviously I'm Max Harwood. I am. Do I need to give my age? I feel like this is a bit of a dating I mean, profile. You can if you want. I won't say no. <laughs> uh, well, I'm 23. I'm from Basingstoke, which is a small town south of London. And um, I played Jamie New in this film. Everybody's talking about Jamie, which is out on Amazon Prime on the 17th of September. Um, I came to get this part, actually. Um, I was training in London in college for two years, and my friend Lydia forced me slash encouraged I always use the word forced she always says it <laughs> um, to put myself forward get over my get over my sort of imposter syndrome and force myself to um put myself forward for this role and I didn't have an agent um I was completely unrepresented and I sent in a self-tape to the casting director just telling her a little bit about me um my love of drag my love of um playing around with makeup and dressing up as as a kid um and then about seven rounds later, jumping through various hoops, um, because obviously in the film, my acting, dance, wear heels, do drag, it's all me. They had to obviously check that I could do everything. Um, and then after seven rounds, the director offered me the job in the room. And that was wild. It was crazy. So and this was um, before or after you had graduated college? This was this was before I'd graduated. Wow. So that's a, that's, that's big. That's huge. Um, did you go back to school after filming or no? I didn't go back to school. Um, and that was a decision. I, that was a, a quite a tough decision I had to make actually, because um, I did love being in school, but I just was quite busy. And um, mm -hmm. I, it would have been unfair of me to like step into a third year of college with other third year students who like needed me to, be there all the time to, for rehearsals. And I, I wasn't prepared to like jeopardize their education to miss rehearsals because, you know, with, especially with theater programs, you know, you're, you're, in, you're doing shows and you're required to rehearse and it takes up a lot of time. So um, that's sort of why I decided to step away from it because I was working. And to be honest with you, I've learned so much on the jobs that I've done that it's been a complete education in film anyway. So it's just been the right move for me to make. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. I mean, your first big professional job, you get to act opposite Sarah Lancashire and Richard E. Grant. And it's interesting because I was talking with Richard earlier, and he also talked about how he still has issues with the imposter syndrome that you get when you're acting. Um, what, What sort of things did you learn from working with him specifically? Um, I learned that um, fundamentally to be a good actor, you have to be a really good human and you have to listen and you have to be responsive and you have to be generous. And um, Richard is all of those things. And he, it was a complete masterclass in craft, just being in a room and watching him work and watching him interact professionally with the director and interacting professionally and personally with the crew and how to conduct myself on a set. It was he was a complete, a complete model, model, like of a of what you would really want your first co-star to be. He was really sensational. It's, it's always so good to hear about those kinds of relationships amongst actors and those yeah, kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you had said that earlier that you had had a love of drag and putting on makeup and dressing up and all this had you actually done drag before doing this no I hadn't I'd I dressed up as a kid like in my in my dressing up box at home with my sister mm-hmm. but never had I done drag as we know and love drag to be now I think I started watching um drag race um you know probably actually just a few years before the show everybody's talking about Jamie came to town and mm-hmm. you know um it and it wasn't something that I'd really explored myself much. Um, so I was really excited with this film to, to get to jump into that world head first, really. And cause you know, I, I don't have, I like, I like to be good at things. So like, cause I'm not very good at makeup. Like I've got better at it now because I actually like bought a whole makeup kit um, to prepare for this job. Wow. Like, I followed all of the YouTube videos online, gluing my brows down. You know, they went from like cornflake brow to completely smooth brow in the space of months. I just really went all in and and tried good. And I, you know, I did, I did get a lot better, and it it, it got a lot better. And I, but I I hadn't done drag before, no. Well, as they say, practice makes perfect. So you oh, know, for sure, yeah. You just keep going. <laughs> um, so you you do that. You are you're in the hands of all these very talented hair and makeup people. They do tests, they turn you around in the chair and you see yourself as me, me, me for the first time. What did that feel like? So exciting and terrifying all in one. Yeah. Um, I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, I could, I could go on, let's, I'm going to go on Drag Race. That's what I'm (laughs) Um, I'm going to do. I'm I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to go. I'm going to be a drag queen. Uh, And then you quickly realize that you stand up in these heels and you're like, ow, my feet hurt. 
And then you go, oh, I can't have, I can't use the bathroom for 12 hours because I've got to shoot all day. Ouch, like I need to use the bathroom. Um, and then you get on stage and you have to perform and the, the energy that meets you from the audience is what really fuels you to push through the fear and to step into the the drag in a, in a fierce and sort of bold way. But gosh, it's exhausting. It really mm. is. It really is. And I... I absolutely hold my hands up really high for all of the the drag artists that do that, you know, seven days a week in the clubs and bars across and the world stages, you know, across the world. Um, I've been really lucky that some of the queens that I really loved and admired I've got to work with or they've reached out and we've become friends or, you know, it's just been such an amazing experience for me as a fan of drag as well. Yeah, I mean, you got... Bianca Del Rio made a cameo in the film, which is yeah. very fun. Did you get to yeah. meet her, spend any time with her? Yeah, I got to, um, well, actually her, her visit to set, uh, much like her cameo in the film was quite fleeting. <laughs> it was quite fleeting. <laughs> sure. but, um, we, she was just on set for a morning and I was in complete awe. And then she actually invited me to go to her show at Wembley. Um, <sighs> what she was doing a couple of months after we were shooting. So we got to hang out then. And I've sub- subsequently seen her since in London when they've been back doing, she was in the show in town. So yeah, we spent a bit more time, time together since. And I'm seeing her tomorrow as well. So it's all very exciting. So much fun. Yeah. Um, had you seen the musical before auditioning or before performing in this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a huge fan of the musical. I watched it like maybe in 2018. Mm-hmm. So like a whole, a whole year before the process started to sort of happened for me, and I loved it. I, I loved uh, Jamie's resilience. I loved the music. Um, I loved that it, you know, it felt like there was something for everyone in it. Um, and I actually, you know, being a theatre student at the time, I was very much like, oh, maybe this is a role that I wouldn't have to hide, try and mask my queerness. And not that I feel like I do that anyway now, but. Um, you know, I would I would really be able to fiercely and boldly step into a really openly queer role and like yeah. be expressive and be really, you know, tread a line of something that feels quite close to me. Yeah. And speaking of that, do you think that having a film like this when you were younger would have impacted you in any way? For sure. For, no. for sure. Like, I mean, I I didn't have this movie as a kid mm-hmm. and I didn't come out till I was 18. Um, and my process of stepping into my most authentic self is happening, you know, in my, in my late teens and my twenties, which is like now, mm-hmm. uh, and don't get me wrong. I'm in a, a really beautiful position to be doing that with the creative team that I've been doing, doing this film with and the people I've met over the last couple of years, but yeah, no, it totally would have really helped. Well, it's great. It is a beautiful movie. It's a great performance congratulations on your on your debut um and are you allowed to say what you're working on next what can we expect from you in the future you can hopefully expect more films i've Mm -hmm. definitely shot two i've shot two more films since doing since doing jamie which i can't can't tell you about but i mean if you if you look for it you might find it just saying um and also i am going off as soon as I come off of this press tour to shoot a film called Magpie in the UK, which is a British um, dramatic thriller about this isolated uh, religious community in the Moors. And uh, my family gets accused of witchcraft. 
um, and Tuppence Middleton, who was in um, Mank and Downton yes. Abbey. She's playing my stepmom, and oh, wow. I'm playing my son in that. And I, my character is, oh, maybe I'm telling you too much. Um, my character is in that. <laughs> I play her. Gonna give well, way too much away. Away the whole of the film. <laughs> well, that is very exciting. We'll look forward to it. Um, again, Thank you congratulations. So much. Thank you. One last question before we go. It's a very important one. Okay. What would your drag name be? My drag name would be Trisha Can. Trisha Can. It's rubbish. <laughs> that was really bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, it is okay. I, I was telling Richard earlier, I did drag once with 24 hours notice in college and I was lip syncing a Kelly Clarkson song. So my very clever drag name was Kelly Dixon. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I it think Trisha can is much yeah, better. It could be worse, you know, yeah. it is what it is. It was a time. It was a moment. It was a time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Max. Again, congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. Good Thank luck. You. We look forward to seeing more from you. Mom, do you ever wish I were just normal? No. I'm what's normal anyway. Stop waiting for permission to be you. If I don't say it enough, you're the best friend a boy who sometimes wants to be a girl could ever wish for. Hello, Richard E. Grant. Mr. Richard E. Grant, how are you today? I'm very good, Mr. Daniel Bayer. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing very well. I'm very excited to speak with you about this film. Everybody's talking about Jamie, um, which has kind of become this iconic musical for the younger generation, particularly in England. Um, The story, the real life story, and then this musical that took London by storm or so I'm told were mm-hmm. how aware were you of this of the story and the musical before you signed on to do this project Daniel I had seen the documentary six years ago on mm. BBC about Jamie New um that is you know, his his true life story that they then made the the play musical of and I was aware that it had been a big hit in the West End um and but I did not expect ever to be offered a part in it. Um, and I still haven't seen it because I thought that if I saw the guy playing the part that I was offered, I mm-hmm. never had the courage to try and do it because I would just think that he, he would be better than anything that I could possibly be. And I'm sure <laughs> he still is. Ah, I don't know, such a low opinion of yourself. Um, it's interesting because between this and Can You Ever, for, ever Forgive Me a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you're sort of carving out this little niche with this older sardonic gay characters mm-hmm. um did you look to jack hawk for any inspiration for this part or did you say no they're they're too different uh too different because mm-hmm. jack hawk was uh somebody that saw his life as a success even though he was failing spectacularly and he mm-hmm. would and he was very social um gregarious character whereas uh, Hugo is is really lonely. His partner's died of AIDS. Um, he's not a success anymore. His drag days are long gone. 
and you know he's down on his heels as it were literally mm. running a sort of fancy drag stroke drag shop in a in a really drab end of a predominantly working blue collar city Sheffield so he only is sort of reignited and comes to life when he becomes the mentor of this teenager who wanders in you know with the dream of going to become a drag artist and go to his school prom in drag so I was very inspired by a man who's a drag artist in England called David Hoyle that Jonathan Bushnell, mm. the director of the show, had put me in touch with, who exudes incredible melancholy and vulnerability and loneliness. So that was really the key in. And then I binge-watched mm. 11 series of RuPaul's Drag Race in three <laughs> Morning, noon and night. <laughs> and I thought that was the best education I could possibly get, having never seen drag before. Mm. You, you'd never seen drag before doing no, this. No. Oh, wow. Have you seen a lot of drag? I've, I've seen some. I don't know that I'd say a lot, right. <laughs> but have I've seen some. Seen I, I actually did. Um, I was coerced into doing a drag performance when I was in college. And I look back on it with great shame because it was not very good. It was a lot of fun, but it, it was not very good. What was your drag name? <laughs> um, my drag name, so I was lip syncing to a Kelly Clarkson song. So my very creative drag name was Kelly Dixon. <laughs> not not particularly creative, but I had about 24 hours to put it together, so I forgive myself. Um, what, what would your drag name be? Uh, Regina Grantatious. Oh, Regina Grantatious. I like it. Very grandiose. <laughs> um, what, speaking of, what, what did it feel like stepping into Loco Chanel's bustier and heels and seeing um, yourself in that get up for the first time. A two month process of many wardrobe, makeup and hair tests. And oh, wow. for a great while, the, the wigs were quite short, sort of Eliza Minnelli leaning. <laughs> and I thought that this was, you know, I looked like a sort of car park attendant to me. I couldn't buy it at all. So, so when, when I saw this wig that was like a Mrs. Thatcher wig gone mm. on mescaline, um, I thought that would be the way because, as RuPaul says, you know, the bigger the wig, the closer to God. That's true. So I thought that was the way to go. And I was ended up being about six foot eight with the heels and the. the oh, wow. Wig. But it just gives you a, you know, it makes you feel confident. Mm hmm. So yeah. That's but was it a bit of a surprise? You know, you been acting for many years you've undergone many transformations for characters did this one feel any any different or any special oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah i've never never felt like this before it's <laughs> it's just because i look in the mirror and i think i don't know who that i can't i couldn't recognize myself oh, wow. and i tested out the makeup on people that i know and they didn't know that it was me so i thought oh well, that's a good that, that's a good sign there you go <laughs> There you go. All, um, all due to the artistry of Guy Common, the makeup mm. um, artist, and Nadia Stacy, who, who designed the wig and the, and the makeup of it all. It looks great. You cut quite a striking figure in, in that outfit. And that's good corsetry and a double D cup bra, all care of Guy Spratt, the costume designer. <laughs> Very nice. Obviously, you were the one who 
chose or loved that wig, did you have any other sort of input into how the character looked, whether in drag or out of drag, or was that all really done by the, uh, the yeah, customers? You, you have you have input. I wanted it to look as really failed and down and out as possible mm. um, as Hugo. And then when I was in drag, um, I thought more is more is the motto of this character. More jewelry, mm. more makeup, more hair, more heels, more leopard skin tights and shoes. <laughs> Maximalist. <laughs> yes. Drag is about the maximum. Um, yeah, you know, on what RuPaul's did... Drag Race, there's nobody who's doing minimalist drag. It's like a oh. contradiction in terms. Yes, exactly. I don't know that there is such a thing. You're right. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about having to sing in this, even for a little bit? Um, I had a brilliant <laughs> singing teacher called Anne-Marie Speed, who helped mm. me breathe and talk me down and you know, took me through rehearsals and things. So I owe all of that to her, if it works. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you've ever sang like like this in a film before is that (laughs) was that when you first found out that you were doing this musical did you say did you have a moment of oh no or was were you like yes bring on bring it on i also thought that that you know the get out would be if the singing was not up to the standard they could just dub me so mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, that was my get out of my head. I thought, oh, and they kept saying, no, 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 you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And I said, well, it sound, doesn't sound good to me. But they said, no, you're too self-critical. So anyway. Good. Yes. You, I know it can be hard as performers sometimes to have that sort of more open opinion about oneself. But yeah. And you have this wonderful relationship with um jamie max harwood who this is his film debut did you have did that chemistry was that naturally there did you work on that a lot we instantly liked each other and the first day i met him with jonathan the director writer um we went through every scene that we had together and just talked it through and he knew every word he knew every intention and he was so on it i thought wow he's you know He's going to fly in this role, and I think he's absolutely brilliant. So excited for him. It's an exciting movie. It's been exciting talking with you. Thank you so much um, for taking this time of us. Before we go, I have to ask, what is your favorite song from the show to sing around the house? Uh, The one that uh, is over the video montage of uh, Mm -hmm. Hugo's life called This Is Me. I I think it's celebratory and very poignant and moving at the same time. That's lovely. I would say that. <laughs> of course, it's your song. Of course, it's yeah. the one you sing all the time. <laughs> well, again, it looks like time is up. Thank you so much for your time today, Richard. Thank you very much, Danny. Thank you. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Bear's interviews with the director for Everybody's Talking About Jamie, Jonathan Butterell, and the film stars Max Harwood and Richie Grant. Everybody's Talking About Jamie is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.